0: The Unravelling Fantasia of Miss H by Stitched Up Theatre.
1: The story of Mary Frances Heaton inspired by her embroidered samplers and surviving medical records.
0: Written by Red Grey, composed by Red Grey and Sarah Nichols.
1: Theatre Royal Stanley Cum Renthorpe, they call it. The Asylum Recreation Hall sounds like they're having one of their concerts. As I promenade around the airing court and hear their laughter and singing, I wonder how the story of my life might sound. What harmony, what discord. I think back to the piano in my grandmother's parlour. For as long as I could remember it had been locked. A forlorn creature in hibernation, shut in its tight walnut shell. Whenever the parlour door was slightly ajar, I would strain my neck to catch sight of it. Its mouth tight shut as if it had been silenced. What melodies lay muted within, I used to wonder. I imagined that if somebody opened it, it might just play of its own accord. As one might follow the urge to sing out or shout and create great chaos throughout the house. Little did I know, just quite, how my life might reflect a similar fate.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this great public calamity, sad and miserable event. It is with anguish of spirit and bitter remorse that we present to you the life of Mary Frances Heaton. It will be a severely classical night where we will witness the dignified demise of a chequered life, a phenomenon in a smock frock. The company do not bind ourselves to adhere to the hours or anything like them. Prices of admission are as advertised. The orchestra, being in abnormal condition, do not feel inclined for Beethoven's Fifth their salaries being considerably in arrears, they feel much more disposed for the unraveling fantasia of Miss H. We shall now melt thaw and dissolve ourselves into a Jew. Vale Mind very crazy. Incoherent, discontented. Ideas and habits extremely irrational. Very eccentric.
1: This is what they say of me.
0: Noisy, unruly, crazy. Her conduct strange, extravagant, contemptuous and overbearing. Beating and striking the patients. Dreaded and disliked. Bad.
1: I can't blame them, I suppose. My passion is ungovernable, so they say.
0: Frequently noisy at night. Becomes much more insane. Cursing and swearing. Using the most disgusting and insolent language. Violent. Abusive. Extremely crazy. Demented.
1: Aye. They thought they had the measure of me. That I was trouble from the start. Not quite right. Stop it! As the eldest daughter of a solicitor in Doncaster, there were many advantages bestowed upon me prior to my father's bankruptcy. A circumstance of the utmost difficulty in which I was thrown upon the world. My mother's thrice accursed sisters resolving with furious rapacity to send me to London to make use of my trifling acquirements of music and French and drawing for purposes of gain as a nobleman's governess. Forgive me if I do not lift the lid on the life that unfolded there just yet. Suffice to say that while no education could have prepared me for it, it served to instil in me great expectations for a flourishing life yet to come. Rather, let me describe to you the unimaginable turn of events that unravelled some four years after returning from my life as governess in London at the age of 37, in residence once again in Doncaster, teaching piano and minding my own business mistress of my own castle. I had been given regular music lessons to the vicar's two daughters for over a year. You would not have believed it to hear them play, mind. And had not received any payment. Well, aye, quite unbecoming of a man of the Lord not to pay his debts. Following several patient but persistent requests, I finally demanded before Mayor Walker and the overseers of the town that the vicar attend arbitration. How furious I was when the Mayor replied that I had no means of subsistence to bring the case. Moreover, he seemed to think the whole affair was one to be shared with anybody and everybody. There soon broke out a quarrel. A street full of meddlers, including the vicar and his drunken wife. (laughs) Giving their opinions and creating such a disturbance that I was arrested for a breach of the peace.
2: and
1: And ordered to spend the night in Doncaster jail. Oracle de Tuppeny Mare then refused me even half an hour in which to procure bail in the street where the most friendly of men had lived for more than thirty years. Breach of the peace. Keeping women out of their own business, in other words. Half an hour. Half an hour. Half
2: an hour to procure bail. Half an hour, to procure bail Half an hour, half an hour, or it's Doncaster Jail Let me explain, I wish the vicar would submit to arbitration My claim against him for money's owing for music lessons given the rabble A rant, a parson he's drunk and
1: leave me here, come back don't jest with me, come back my explanation had fallen on deaf ears well, what choice did they have they were not going to allow this woman to walk away free, to admit defeat the next day, with still no reasonable cause to charge me they brought in another meddler a physician, he bothered me to no end, staring and prodding Get your hands off me. Just leave me alone, you repulsive man. Just let me go home. Mary Frances Heaton,
0: spinster of this parish, arrested for a breach of the peace, has, while detained here in Doncaster jail for want of sureties, been deemed a lunatic insane or a dangerous idiot on the authority of overseers of Doncaster, both magistrate and physician.
1: I'll tell you who the idiots are. Silence!
0: Having no visible means of support, her settlement being unknown she shall forthwith be conveyed to the West Riding Pauper Lunatic Asylum in the township of Stanley Comrenthorpe, in the parish of Wakefield. Unless there's anyone here willing to represent her. Anyone? No, thought
1: not. Excrable brute, Walker is thy name. Tigers, wolves and bears some aspire to tame, but man without restraint, more fierce than they, feasts on his kind and makes his friends his prey. I put up a good fight, but their brute force overpowered me. They hurled me into the back of a carriage and bolted the door behind me. What a dreadful stench, the smell of foul corruption. As we jolted along, my bones bashing against the walls, I thought of all the women who had been transported before me, thrown away like rubbish, screaming defiantly as those who had decided their fate, often husbands or fathers, simply walked away. Oh, I I have heard of many a woman sent to a madhouse often for a large sum of money in return. And to what justification? Tiring too easily, being a nuisance to a gentleman's advancement, reading a novel. It is said that a mixture of belladonna and chloroform will give a woman the appearance of being crazy enough. Nobody attempts to halt such practice. I will not accept this fate, I vowed. It is not mine. As I arrived at West Riding Pauper Lunatic Asylum, I was determined to prove that I was not one of their patients. There had been a misunderstanding, which could be sorted out if everyone could sit down and discuss things reasonably. I was convinced the matter would soon be settled, but that is not quite how things went. Nobody took any notice. Move it. Right. Come on. There has been a mistake. This way, please, madam. You don't know. You, you have no idea of who I am or where I'm from. Oh, please no. just let me explain. Someone, listen to me. Come on. We've got a right one here. Oh. I was not sure how long I would be able to hold my strained, patient demeanour. I thought my insides were going to explode. As soon as I was able, I ran out into the airing court and paced around and around to let off steam. I released exhalations of laughter up to the sky just to hear my own voice. But then I realised the truth. I had been sold by W.B. Denison Esquire and Dr. Schofield, the wicked men who had put me in there. An evil transaction between criminals of the state. Sold! For a large amount of money. Well, how long might this take to rectify? I I would need to find someone to buy me back. Educated in French and music. A mother's prodigy. A father's legacy. in London, a governess and music mistress. You could speak to my employer, Lord John Seymour. He will vouch for me, surely. Here, I must be my own counsel, consolidate my strength and resolve to find a way out. I vowed to reinforce my armour, the armour which had never failed to sustain me in my life thus far. to treat me like one of their mad women. To strip me of any unnecessary dignity, they assigned me chores, then expected me to pass the time with embroidery and painting, and to be content with that. One morning, the attendant brought in a package. It was for Mary Matheson, a simple, irritating woman who seemed to have taken somewhat of an interest in me. Mary Matheson, something has arrived for you. Look,
0: a pretty present. Can you read the stitching? Uh, Home, sweet home. Thank you, Miss Heaton. I was not asking you.
1: (coughs) Sewing time, ladies. I had demanded on numerous occasions to speak to those evil men who were keeping me imprisoned, but no one would listen. And the more I asked, the more they sought to distract me with arbitrary tasks and undertakings. The stronger my endeavours to free myself, the more trapped I was becoming. to take things into my own hands and smuggle out a message just like the stitching Mary Matheson had received that morning I recognised a young lass who they said was leaving the next day if only she'd be willing to take my message and sew it into her stays
2: you're leaving tomorrow tomorrow gentleman in Doncaster and tell him I am here Say I'm in great distress I'm Mary Frances Heaton
1: What are you waiting for?
0: No, I can't. I can't get into trouble. I'm supposed to be going home. I'll take that, thank you, Miss H. Give me that. Now, we'll have no carrying on like this while you're here. Give me that back.
1: You've got no right. You've got no right. Give me that. That is mine. Give Give me that back. Give me that back, you bloody whore.
0: Now, ladies, before we eat, we will share our recitation together. Mm. <laughs> Woman's, Woman's right. rights.
2: The right to be a comforter when, when other comforts, comforts fail. The right to choose a thrilling heart, the heart
1: troubles when troubles must assail. The right to train the infant mind to think of heaven and God. The right, the right, to, right to choose. The tiny feet that power's saviour trod. The right to dissent. The descent. right to solace the distressed to wipe the mourner's tear. The, the right, right to consent. To the, and each the, right the right to, be right to speak the out. To be the right, the right
2: to, the to possess to
1: the right to be heard <sighs> the right to be free
2: the rights which God hath given the, the right, right to comfort comfort man on,
0: earth on earth and smooth path to heaven. Well done, especially
1: Mary Matheson. Good try. I cannot stand this place a minute longer. I had tried to fall in line and be patient, but by now I did not care who I upset. I needed to bring some attention to myself and my plight. Didn't they realise it's the British government and all their fancy friends in power who should be in here? I was starting to fear that I may be in here forever if I did not do something. I was ready to start a riot. Come and feast, dear British government. Take your place at this infernal banquet. The table set, everything in season. Stuff your fat faces with vice, crime, and treason. How thrilling to have the other women join me! in their oh, plates and spoons okay. and enjoying our revelry. They cheered as I recited the names of every man I had held responsible in some way for allowing this nightmare of an existence to continue. Downshire, the Duke of Portland, the Duke of Newcastle, Prime Minister Melbourne, Prince Leven. Now they'll hear me.
2: A woman's right. <laughs> Woman's rights
1: the right to
2: speak out
1: the right to dissent the right the right to choose now. Mary, stop it stop it now the right to stop consent it. the right to earn the right to possess the right to be heard the right to be free. Hysterical, some might call me. Mary Frances Heaton. But as the nurse came in to calm things down, I couldn't help but slap her in the face.
0: Not an easy job calming down the violent, feeding up the undernourished, and purging the constipated. Miss H. No monthly catamenia, menstruation for six years now. Electric shocks to be passed through the pelvis every second
1: day. After all this time, I can hardly now decipher one day from another. I do remember how Mary Matheson would never leave me be, always mithering me. I think she knew I had a mind of my own and set out to taunt me. It is not surprising that keeping women locked up in a confined space can lead to altercations of a sometimes violent nature. Yes, black eyes were indeed traded, which was shamefully satisfying on giving, I must admit, but not so much so on receiving. I was acquiring a reputation for being quarrelsome and finding fault with everything around me. Well, wouldn't you? Miss H, the title I was now branded. There is one evening I shall never forget. I had managed to sneak out of my stifling room to take some air in the airing cart.
0: A little after 7pm on Saturday 18th November 1843, Miss H made her escape from room number 15. Immediate search was made and it was found that she had scaled the Airing Court wall, which is some feet high by means of a winter hedge elevated on two pales, the top of the former reaching within some feet of the top of the wall.
1: I'm out! I can hardly believe it. Quick, think uh, I need to gather my thoughts. Eight o'clock coach to London, the morning coach. I must find shelter somewhere for the night, a kind soul to help me. oh. oh. kind person. Good evening. I'm Mary Frances Heaton, eldest daughter of the late Mr Heaton, solicitor born... Uh, born May the 30th, 1801, Doncaster, and educated with
2: great liberality
1: before my father's bankruptcy. After receiving instruction in music from four of the first and best masters, in addition to having been, when a child, a mother's prodigy, I had a degree of confidence in my own method of teaching music which no
2: one could ever shake. Then how might I become confined in such a place? I
1: couldn't help myself. I think I recounted my whole life to that poor man at the cottage. In the presence of Mayor Walker of Doncaster, having distinctly remarked that I wished the vicar would submit to my objection, my claim against him for music lessons given to his daughter twice lately between the years of 1834 and 1835. Great was my astonishment when the mayor said to me, "You have no means of subsistence." Ha! <laughs> my first impulse was laughter. I was a music mistress, a governess, in London from 1823 to 1833,
2: and in Doncaster from 1833 to 1837. Terms three, four, six. listen to the guinea. A solicitor's wage, £50. My resident engagement's never lower than the rate of £100 per annum.
1: And how as a young thing I had found myself in a liaison with aforementioned nobleman, my employer, Lord John Seymour, which I have great reason to look back upon as the most fortunate event of my life, and one by which my general affairs were greatly brightened and improved. The director of that place has a habit of calling Mr Heaton's eldest daughter, Mrs Heaton, which Miss Norma, being particularly distasteful, first suggested to me the propriety, with his lordship's permission, of taking the name Seymour. Mrs Seymour. Lord Seymour,
0: Uh, Miss Heaton, our governess. Uh, Miss Heaton, uh, Mary, play us something, won't you? I'm sure London would be thrilled to hear the musical talents of our
2: young Yorkshire lass. Very well. why my
1: heart stopped for a moment. I could feel his eyes burning through me.
0: Bravo, bravo.
1: Bravo. Bravo. (laughs) Thank you, Lord Seymour. And how in 1827 we slipped away to Paris. Shame to declare that I lived a whole lifetime in that first sleepless night. I had never felt so alive. Paris captivated me. Lovers walks by the Seine, Grand Cafes, opulent Parisian society. It seemed quite unremarkable to make the acquaintances of lords and politicians. Nobody questioned the intimacy of our attachment.
2: Premiers amours, j'y retourne, j'y retourne. Mon cher, tout reste dans mon cœur, mon Seigneur. Je reviens ces nuits de plaisir. Tout sera tout ce que je désire. On revient ces premiers amours.
1: We would wake up from it, and the reality of our lives would go back to how they once were. Although the sense of danger and adventure was breathtakingly exhilarating, I cannot deny it was also for me a most genuine and deeply felt awakening that changed me forever. summer of 1836, I, Mrs Seymour, consulted the physician, Sir Astley Cooper, respecting the internal injury which I thought the cause that I had not a child, and gave him a handsome Chinese fan for his niece. I asked the tenant and his wife to lock me in a room so no one could find me before the morning. I explained how I was thought insane at the asylum, but surely they could see I had all my wits about me. As the key turned in the lock, I felt safe, hopeful, for the first time in six years. Or oh, be still now, be brave. Just a few more hours and I shall be free. While search
0: was being made... A man who tenants one of the cottages, contiguous to the south side of the plantation, came to say that a female had taken refuge in his house. It was Miss H. The account he gave was that she desired to have lodgings for the night, saying that she had escaped from the asylum and was about to proceed to London in the morning. She also promised him large sums of money if he afforded her the protection and assistance she desired. She talked in a wild and extravagant manner on many other subjects, so as to convince him that she was not insane, even had he not known whence she came. Lastly, she requested to be shown to a bedroom, and to be locked in, that she might be safe from her pursuers. He locked the door, left his wife in charge of the house, and came to the asylum.
1: No monthly catamenia. That's right. No monthlies for me since I left London.
0: Electric shocks to be passed through the pelvis every second day.
1: Certain reminiscences are too deeply set. They will perish with me. I must confess that at least three times I did feel to be in a mystified state of mind, which I could not explain. One time I felt convinced that the Prime Minister Lord Melbourne was residing in the adjoining house and was most anxious to write to him to expose the great villainy which had been practised in keeping me here. But they insisted that he was not. I have felt deranged but not insane, never insane. There was one time, I cannot quite understand my thinking, imagining that a fly might be a sign from the heavens.
0: 18th, 1840 One afternoon Mary had some tea in which was a fly. This circumstance operated powerfully on her mind and she believed that she was to receive a pair of wings with which she would be able to fly away and leave the institution. shocks to be passed through the pelvis every second day. rather late in the evening, expecting to see them drop from the clouds. She went to bed disappointed, but still continued to expect them. she began to think that she was deluded and it was only in the evening that she could persuade herself that such was the case. electric shocks to be passed through the pelvis every second day.
1: been barred from chapel, could not hold back the urge to shout out in protest during prayers. (coughs) That it was the vicar and his lot that put me in here, those who made the rules to suit themselves.
0: years confined.
1: Silence is golden, they say. The absence of my voice makes it easy for them to forget. I disappear. They know nothing of me. They interpret my plans and schemes as those of a disturbed mind. Not of an intelligent, resourceful woman. What do they know of the system of Logier, the source of music theory? Did they study Racine? (laughs) With the very same tutor who read to George IV, no less. Little would they know of the resemblance of my life to that of Esther, the Chosen One bearing the burden of her kind. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favour in his sight more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen. Esther Aurelia of the Trinity, until we reach our promised land, eh?
2: I have had enough of fighting. I have had enough of hurting. No one is listening. I need to show them who I am. I am articulate. I have been educated.
1: Treason. Such thoughts torment me. I must find a way to keep myself intact, or I am indeed in danger of unravelling.
0: Fifteen years confined.
1: I spend much of the time stitching lately. To stop me from going truly insane, I thought to pass the days with embroidery. It takes time to complete and it calms the mind. They are agreeable to all my requests for threads and materials, generous even. I don't always know what I will create, which words will come, but so far they are reflections, some disturbing, some comforting. All thoughts from inside me which seem to find a way to emerge. I stitch to recall my life, to make sense of what has been a most extraordinary existence. Mm. How strange to see my thoughts, my words, my life laid out, the names of those who loved me and who harmed me. These words are roots they may endure even if I do not. I compose with pattern and form, embellish with colour and silks to fashion something beautiful out of the very pain that consumes me, to create life from death. It passes the time. Each sampler has its own design. Our most gracious Sovereign, the Queen Victoria is most respectfully petitioned to affix her royal seal to this sampler in token of approbation thereof The British Government Treason against the State Vice Crime Fair to look upon. Mrs. Seymour informed Mrs. Hendon, widow nurse for more than ten years in the ward, that once upon a time a certain noble lord had been of the same opinion. Paris, 1827. The express purpose of this deed, or sampler, is to offer to the acceptance of the right Honourable Lord John Seymour the sum of one thousand pounds. A few words of consolation to my youngest sister at my mother's posthumous request. The above sum to be disposed of to promote the interest of the above-named Miss Sophia Heaton. Silk pocket books. The system of Logier. All is calm in that eternal sleep. Where joy forgets to smile and grief to weep. Expressions last receding ray.
0: Thirty years confined. She is much the same. Goes about the grounds in a chain when fine.
1: They ask me how I am. I suffer headaches, I say, and my stomach. Well, it has been in knots for years. I am starting to feel like an old woman, though I would not wish to return to days of youthful countenance, unless the wisdom of age were present to guide. My womanhood was sufficient to overthrow the grand ideas I had of fabricating any destiny for myself. Had I been born a man, I would have a different story to tell.
2: In its black
0: One years confined,
1: I have been here so very long now, and each day little changes. My armour does not seem as impervious as once was, and my resolve dilutes. I seem not to have any particular fight left in me. I shut myself away and sit quietly in my room. Sometimes I lie on the floor for hours.
2: And they extinguish
1: Do not bring thread. I have ceased to create. I sit as though my arms are bound. I feel no strength in them to move. The words I have stitched I leave as my expressions last receding rays. Oh, may they continue to flicker just long enough for some good to come, for someone to see. For someone to hear, for someone to create great chaos throughout the house.
0: The unravelling fantasia of Miss H was written by Red Gray, composed, performed and produced by Red Gray and Sarah Nichols. This audio play is an adaptation of the stage play written by Red Gray and directed by Zoe Boras for Stitched Up Theatre. This production was supported by Arts Council England, Leeds Inspired and PRS Foundation. Special thanks to Wakefield's Mental Health Museum, and West Yorkshire Archives for their resources and support. For more information, please visit our website www.stitched-up-theatre.com Thank you for listening.